live from the basement. This is Cellar Dweller Sports. And we're back with another edition of Cellar Dweller Sports featuring K-Dog and G-Mac. Welcome back to the Cellar. We're here with the New York Metropolitans and the New York Yankees. Today's rundown, we have the NCAA Tournament Championship Rewind, MOB Preview, the Islanders and Rangers Rewind and Preview, Nets and Knicks Rewind and Preview, and K-Dog's Fantasy Minute at the end. So first, we'll start out with the NCAA tournament championship final uh so for my final two championship game i had gonzaga and houston but uh obviously that was not the case uh as uh we'll start out with the final four games and uh we'll start out with the first one which was a blowout baylor beat houston 78 to 59 uh, this game was not close to begin with. Baylor came out to a huge lead, uh, up 25 at the half, and it just kept on going from there. The leading player for Baylor was Jared Butler with 17 points, five rebounds, and four assists. Uh, they also got some scoring from Davion Mitchell, who had a double-double with 12 points and 11 assists. Uh, that was the bulk of their scoring for that game. And on the other side for Houston, it was uh, Marcus Sasser with 20 points and Quentin Grimes with 13 points. Everyone else had less than had six points or less for the team. So that is how Baylor moved on to the championship game, 78 to 59. Hey, dog, I predicted Baylor to to yep. beat uh, Houston in that semifinal game. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston, um, you know, to me, wasn't impressive throughout the the tournament, right? Houston barely got by Rutgers, uh, and, and they didn't look to me to be, you know, that impressive in, in the tournament. Baylor, throughout the tournament, throughout the year, looked like the more impressive team, you know, with Baylor playing the Big 12 which, you know, it's a much more established conference than uh, Houston and the American, you know, the competition just isn't at the same level. So I think that prepared Baylor um, and left Houston somewhat ill-prepared and perhaps somewhat uh, more highly ranked than they should have been. And I think, you know, Baylor just came out and took care of business. I mean, this, this was a blowout and the game was over before, before it even started. And I think, you know, the, the better team won as, uh, you know, I thought they thought would happen. Yeah. So Baylor did win, uh, obviously, a way better team. Uh, and now we'll move on to the final game in the final four, the nightcap game. 11-seeded UCLA took on one-seeded Gonzaga. And Gonzaga pulled off the win in overtime, 93-90. to uh, this had the to game be, of the year. This had to be game of the year. Definitely. That is very true. Uh, back and forth game. Uh, UCLA came back 
in the in the second half to uh, bring it into overtime. And then unfortunately at the end, a huge shot by uh, Jalen Suggs off the backboard into the net for the win, sending Gonzaga to the championship game. Uh, this was the best game UCLA could have played. And unfortunately, one shot did not bounce the right way for them. But on their side, we'll, I'll start out with uh, UCLA's top performer. And it was Johnny Juzang with 29 points, uh, six rebounds and two assists on 12 of 18 shooting. Very efficient night for Juzang. Uh, Hawk has also added 19 points on six of 12 shooting for UCLA and the big man down down low Cody Riley with a double double 14 points 10 rebounds on 7 of 14 shooting from the field on the other side it was the it was the uh the big guys uh performing well for Gonzaga uh with Drew Timmy as the leading scorer 25 points four rebounds on 11 of 15 shooting from the field, most of that coming in the overtime period as it looked like he was going to bring this team way past UCLA in overtime, but UCLA ended up coming back. Uh, Ayayi for Gonzaga also had 22 points on 9 of 12 shooting, very efficient from him, and Suggs, obviously the game-winning shot, 16 points on 6 of 12 shooting, two of five from three, one of those being the game winner. But Gonzaga pulled off the win to move on to the championship game over UCLA, 93-90. Yes, K-Dog, that was certainly, obviously, the game of the tournament, the game of the year, probably you know one of the best tournament games that they'll continue to show and show year after year. And, you know, I, I expected Gonzaga to win this game uh, I did not expect UCLA to make this the game mm-hmm. it was. I just didn't think they had the firepower to match up with Gonzaga. Um, but they demonstrated that they did have that. They matched up real well in the paint with uh, UCLA's big man there going against, uh, you know, Riley going against Timmy. And I think they, UCLA started to utilize him a little bit too late in the contest mm-hmm. um, because he was making that mid-range jumper, which I, I didn't think the guy could make, but he was making it very consistently and he was strong off the boards. And I think there were times where they relied too much on their perimeter shooting mm-hmm. uh, with Juzang and um, Haquez that, you know, they had opportunity to get it down low on the paint, especially when Timmy was in foul trouble and they should have been given the ball to Riley every possession. Once this guy was in foul trouble and just go at him, make him, make him stop you. But they kind of, they, they didn't utilize him until, you know, later in the game and, you know, Haquez continued to play well. He was strong from both the perimeter and then driving to the lane, um, you know, as well as, uh, UCLA's other guard and um, you know I I thought in that game UCLA had the chance to win it and I think the coach blew it for UCLA Mm -hmm. right it's a tie game UCLA gets a defensive rebound with you know like I don't know 14 seconds left in the game roughly yeah He, he has two timeouts in his pocket 
and he doesn't use any of the timeouts. So, you know, I figured at least get it over the center line and then call a timeout and set up a play. Mm -hmm. But um, he didn't do that. He let his young guard uh, take the ball up and it kind of looked like they had confusion on the last play and basically ran isolation with their young guard, letting the clock run down, run down, run down. And then the kid took, you know, a bad shot. And I think that, um, you know, he should have got it over the timeline, called timeout and set up a play and, you know, try to get the ball down low um, and maybe draw a foul. Right. But um, he didn't do that. And people said, well, he didn't do that because then they got to inbounds the ball. And so what they had one more timeout. So if they if they couldn't inbounds the ball, they still had an opportunity to call timeout and try it again. So I thought um, UCLA's coach uh, didn't utilize his timeouts effectively, and I think it cost him the game. I, you know, if you set up a, a play, you know, you might have an opportunity, uh, better opportunity to score than letting the, you know, the young guard um, try to create a play and it, the time just ran out on him and he had to take a, a poor shot. So. And then it wouldn't even had to go into overtime. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, I think UCLA's coach, um, if he, if he had to do it again, you know, might think of calling a timeout and setting up a play because he had so many options to go to. And, you know, certainly trying to get the ball down low and try to force a foul is one of those, but, you know, he chose not to call a timeout. The kid missed a shot, goes into o- overtime, you know, and uh, UCLA uh, did a valiant job in overtime and, you know, had had um, them on the brink and then, you know, towards going to a second overtime and then Gonzaga just made a lucky shot, you know, that, that half court shot. Let's be honest. That, that was a lucky shot. You know, mm-hmm. he, was he really trying to bank that thing home? I doubt it. Yeah, no, it, it was a very lucky shot. And it's just unfortunate. That's how UCLA's run had to end. But uh, moving on to the championship game. Uh, Baylor versus Gonzaga, uh, and this surprised me even more uh, than the other games. It was a blowout. Baylor won the NCAA title, uh, eighty-six to seventy against Gonzaga. Uh, this game was not close at all, like ever. The closest, the closest they got was to uh, nine points, I believe, uh, and. Baylor just kept on counter countering Gonzaga's runs with big runs of their own and just did not give Gonzaga any opportunity to come back into this game. It was a great start for Baylor as they came out to a huge lead led by the, the player of the tournament, most outstanding player, Jared Butler, 22 points and seven assists on six on fire shooting. Uh, Davion Mitchell as well for Baylor had 15 points on six of 15 shooting. Uh, Macy Teague for Baylor as well had 19 points. And off the bench, Adam Flagler had 13 points on three of six shooting for Baylor. On the other side for Gonzaga, it was Jalen Suggs with 22 points an eight of 15 shooting from the field yeah most was in garbage time yes most yes you're right most was in garbage garbage time uh cory kispert uh and drew timmy 
only had 12 points apiece. Uh, Low-scoring games for them, judging uh, their previous games, they usually score about 20 points a game apiece. Uh, Kispert had 5 of 12 shooting, 2 of 7 from three-point land. Drew Timmy had 5 of 7 from the field. Very efficient day for Timmy, but they did not get him enough scoring opportunities. And uh, Ayayi only had eight points for Gonzaga. It, it was just um, it was just uh, Baylor's lockdown defense in the end, I believe, is what got them over the edge and gave them the national championship title. 86 to 70, Baylor wins it. Okay, well, obviously you didn't pick Baylor to win it no. because you had Houston in the chip, right? Yes. So uh, I, I did pick Baylor to win this game, K-Dog. You know that, don't you? Yes, yes, I know. I okay. Know. So, you know, so again, I picked Baylor to win, the, beat Gonzaga in this game, but I, I picked the Bears primarily because I was picking with the trend that teams don't go undefeated for the entire season more so than I thought Baylor would win because they were just better. Yeah. Um, That's really why I picked Baylor because it's, to me, it's just so hard to go undefeated. Uh, And I, and I didn't think Gonzaga was going to go undefeated. I think there was just going to be too much pressure on them to be able to, to do that. And, you know, but Baylor proved to the nation that they are by far the best college basketball team in the land. And they just routed, the Zags on their way to the first, their first national championship. And, you know, the the game featured the two teams that most expected to be in at the beginning of the season with these two teams Mm -hmm. being one and two in the preseason poll, you know, they were supposed to play each other earlier this year, but it was canceled due to COVID, you know, and this was the first time Baylor has been in the chip in 73 years, K dog, 73 years, right. That's a long time coming. And Mm -hmm. now, uh, Gonzaga coach Mark Few is 0-2 in the chip. So, you know, Gonzaga's getting there every year and they're advancing deep into the tournament most years, but now they're 0-2 in the chip, right? And this was supposed to be, you know, by far probably the best team that they've ever brought to the uh, NCAA double term, uh, NCAA, NCAA tournament, right? But they they go away getting pretty much destroyed by uh, Baylor, you know, um, you know, Gonzaga never led in this one and Baylor jumped on them early going out to an 11, one lead. And I think the Zags were just shell shock going down by so much so early and they couldn't respond Yeah, because they're typically the team that's given the knockout punch early in the game, but uh, not this time. And the Zags had no answer for the high scoring bears, right? They were up by 19 at one point in the first half, but then, you know, Gonzaga cut it to 10 at the half and K dog at this point, you know, I'm thinking, okay, Gonzaga overcame the onslaught, only down 10 at the half. They're, they're in a position yeah, to make a run, a big run in the second half. But, you know, that was not to be. And Gonzaga wouldn't get much closer. And Baylor increased their lead to 20 at a point in the second half. You know, and you talked about it, Baylor's guard trio was just too much for the Zags, too much speed, too much athleticism, too much – uh, shooting accuracy, um, you know, so Butler and Teague combined for 56 points. He had 24 points, three, four pointer, you know, and Butler had 24 points with four, three pointers and seven assists, K-Dog. And he, he's the first 
player to have over 20 points and seven assists in the championship game since your guy Carmelo Anthony did it for Cuse in 2003. So, you know, quite a game uh, for this kid Butler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the difference in the game was Baylor's second chance points opportunity resulting from their outstanding rebound. I mean, they dominated the uh, Zags on the glass. They took 18 more shots as a result of 16 offensive rebounds. And that's just domination on the glass. You have 16 offensive rebounds. It's unbelievable. So that coupled with the Bears converting threes at a high percentage was too much for Gonzaga, who struggled from the field going 25 for 49 and uh, five for 17 from the arc. So, I mean, five for 17 from the arc. Not going to get it done when the other teams just drain and triples, right? So the Bears... You know, and the Bears were tough down low, too, with Thamba and Vital dominating uh, Timmy in the post. And, and Timmy got used by Baylor. Yeah. No no mustache celebration for him. Time to shave the mustache because you got <laughs> outplayed a great deal in this one. You know, and then, then the All-American Kispert from Gonzaga, he wasn't impressive to me at all, not only in this game, but throughout the tournament. Yeah. I mean, did – he, he didn't stand like out a no to me show, basically in the whole tournament. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't anything spectacular, right? And coming into the tournament, this was the guy, right? Uh, along with Suggs and Suggs had 22 points, but you know, he scored his 22 points when the game was over, you know, in the first half he was held in check and, you know, I'm reading that he's going to go enter the NBA draft, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure that this, this is the correct move for him as a freshman, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it was a dominant player in the tournament, K-Dog. Um, and if he didn't hit that lucky buzzer beater against UCLA, UCLA, you probably wouldn't have known that he was in the tournament because Timmy led Gonzaga through this tournament, no yeah. doubt about yeah. it. I mean, mm-hmm. it was him who was leading the way, not either their All-American or the uh, lottery pick, uh, expected lottery pick in Suggs. So, you know, I, I'm not sure if he is going to enter the draft or what, but, you know, I could be wrong about the uh, the young man, but I think it's early for him to come out. I don't think he's matured enough. But anyway, you know, I think Baylor came into the tournament with a chip on their shoulders because everyone was talking about Gonzaga and forgetting that, you know, Baylor was a legitimate contender. And I, I think the other factor that wasn't in Gonzaga's favor was, you know, they had that knockdown drag out fight with UCLA that took them to the brink. And actually, like I said, UCLA should have won the game. But, um, you know, uh, Baylor hung on, right? And, yeah. um, you know, made that lucky shot at uh, as the time expired in the um, first overtime. So I think, I think the difficult, how difficult that game was. And then the fact, you know, after that game, Gonzaga celebrated like they won the title. Yeah. Right. Which I think did them in as well. I I think they were physically and emotionally drained. Baylor came out, punched them in the face, and they were on wobbly legs the rest of the way after that first punch. You know, so that's I think that's what happened in this game. And, you know, congrats to Baylor on the chip. Yes. uh, Congrats to the Baylor Bears on their tournament championship win. Uh, as we are done with the NCAA, 
now yeah, but, but before we do that hopefully everybody enjoyed our ncaa basketball coverage hope you enjoyed our a10 coverage we'll be back in the fall mm-hmm. with our a10 preview with the saint bonaventure bonnie's already ranked in the top 25 of preseason polls yeah so looking forward to another great season of a10 basketball with the bonnie's nationally ranked yes uh yeah so yeah, that's it. It was. It's cool to see that uh, the Bonnies are getting recognized nationally, as they are uh, basically in the top twenty-five for every uh, every preseason ranking so far. So that will be good for the A10 preview coming up in the fall. Yes, it will. But as we move on from the NCAA to the MLB, it's that time of the year again, as we will do the MLB preview. Uh, we will pick our division winners, the wild card spots, and then we will do our World Series uh, picks for the championship. As we will start out in the NL, we will go with the NL East, uh, the hometown team, the New York Mets in the NL East. Uh, for my, uh, for my NLEs champion, I am going with the Mets. Oh, come on now. At, uh, winning the championship. Uh, I know this is, uh, the hardest, I, I would say this is one of the hardest divisions in the MLB, in my opinion, along with the NL central. Uh, and I'd, I'd say the whole national league is probably better than the American League, but National National League East is going to be one of the toughest divisions out there. Um, I think that the Mets, it will come down to pitching. Uh, they rebolstered their uh, bullpen for starting pitching. Uh, they have great starting pitching. Uh, they have the best pitcher uh, I've ever watched in Jacob deGrom, probably going to go for his third Cy Young uh, this year, but and they also bolstered their uh, lineup with uh, the addition of Francisco Lindor and uh, uh, James McCann at uh, at catcher. So I think that the Mets will win the NL East. Uh, their tough competition will probably be between the Phillies and the uh, Braves at the top of the uh, NL East, but. I think that the Mets will win the NL East. And then for my wild card, it's going to come out of the NL. One of my wild cards will come out of the NL East as well. And I think it will be the Braves also coming out of the NL East for a wild card spot. Uh, they, they showed last year why they're one of the best teams out there right now. They have a great starting rotation led by Max Freed. Uh, and uh, they acquired Charlie Morton as well uh, for their uh, starting lineup. They also have a fantastic uh, uh, lineup in Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, Acuna. Uh, they have Ozuna as well as they extended him. Travis Darno, obviously, as Met fans know, uh, turned the corner last year on the break. Oh, my goodness, did he turn the corner? Hitting about 300-plus. Uh, in, in the batting average department, but yes, the Braves will be a wild card spot for me in the NL East, and the Mets will win the NL East. So that is my NL East picks. 
Okay. You know, I, yeah. I think you've been studying yeah. too hard. It, it must be you're preparing for finals and you're studying too hard because I got to disagree with you, yeah, K-Dog, on, on the mats. All right. So so here, here's my NL East standings, final standings. I have the Braves finishing first. I have the Nats finishing second. I have the Phils finishing third, and I have the Mets finishing fourth ahead of the Marlins. The Nats? The Nats finishing second. Holy moly. So, you know, so before I get into the Mets, um, you know, I'm picking the Braves to win the East again. The, the Braves are pretty much the same team as last year, k Dog, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, their losses – uh aren't that great they lost uh green the pitcher green outfielder duval and they lost the pitcher uh melanson uh but i don't think it's a big deal they have good young pitching with freed as you said soroka is going to return yep. ian anderson they added charlie morton you know who was sensational for the rays last year yeah and added drew smiley so their starting pitching is stacked k dog and look at their lineup it's the same lineup as last year yeah you got freeman as you said acuna, acuna albis ozuna swansby riley i mean this lineup is stacked by far the best in, in the east the bullpen is a, a question mark, yeah. but you know, they have Will Smith as their closer at 18 saves last year. So I don't see how this team doesn't win the, the AL East, you know, and I'm picking the Nats to finish second here. I'm going with wow. Scher, Scherzer and Strasburg, you know, uh, two tough pitchers, right? Um, they added Brad hand in their bullpen. The Nets have the Nats have a good lineup led by, probably the best young player in, in Juan Soto. I mean, I don't like his antics. Yeah, no. You know, I can't deal with his antics. I'd hit him every time up if I was a pitcher, but he's a good player. Uh, they have it and, and they have a good combination of speed and power in their lineup, which gives them a, a, an advantage, I think, over the rest of the division. And, and I think they have enough to make the wild card sneaking past, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals and, um, you know, and the Phillies. Uh, for that for that wild card spot I think the Phillies will be in the mix I mean I like Nolan Wheeler although their lineup isn't that great and I'm not a big Harper fan I, I personally think you know Harper may have peaked and won't have those great years any longer yeah. um, but the Mets you know they don't make it and the, the, the reason they don't make it and I don't know why every Mets fan or people <laughs> people in in the in that are supposed to know baseball think this team is going to be any good other than Jake DeGrom, who is arguably the best pitcher in baseball and has been for the last, you know, several years. I mean, this is like the Mets when they had Tom Seaver, right? Seaver was the best pitcher in the game, but the team wasn't very good. I mean, they have really done. I know everybody's all excited because they signed Francisco Lindor and, you know, I wasn't a big, fan of trading away rosario and jimenez for mm -hmm. uh lindor because i rather have used kept those two guys put them at second and short let them grow and 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 spent the money on pitching because they have no pitching and and they after Degrom, he got stroman all right who opted out last year he wasn't very good his first year with the mets right so mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not high on him. They got Peterson, the rookie, right? And 
okay, you don't know what he's going to be or, or not be mm-hmm. right. And, and then they, they got the guy from Cleveland, um, Carrasco, Carrasco, and he's, he's hurt already, yeah. but you know, he, he was an average pitcher with Cleveland. He wasn't, wasn't exceptional pitcher with Cleveland. Right. And then, you, you know, what, what do you, your starting lineup, it, it, I mean, your starting pitching isn't that strong. Maybe Syndergaard comes back around the June, July time frame, but Syndergaard's a five-inning pitcher that gives up three runs a game. Mm-hmm. So I'm not impressed with that. I'm not impressed with their bullpen. You still have Diaz as your closer. You can't trust this guy for nothing, mm-hmm. right? And then you got Brandon Loop and then uh, Trevor May. You know, it's not Trevor Bauer, folks. It's Trevor May. Yeah. Okay, so, and then you still have Familia, who I think is on the other side of the mountain here with his career. Then you have uh, the the ex-Yankee, who, uh, you know, last year was terrible for the Mets. And so I think that, you know, the bullpen's not going to be any good. You're going to have, you're going to see the same thing that you saw last year. And, and how, other than Lindor, they upgraded with Lindor at shortstop, but at what cost, right? And they put all this money in the Lindor basket. Now they can't pay anybody else, but first base is the same Pete Alonzo. And you don't really know what Pete Alonzo is. He had a great rookie year and he wasn't that good last year. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, McNeil, you, you, you think he'll hit 300. Uh, his fielding isn't that great. All right. So he's somewhat of a defensive liability. You got an upgrade at short. You got the same, third baseman with jd davis you know and he he he's uh you know suitable and you know he'll he'll play you know he'll hit 280 for you he'll play a decent third base and then the outfield you got the same outfield that you had last year and i'm not a big conforto fan you know he has all these ebbs and flows where he's awful for long periods of time then he has you know uh streaks where he'll hit homers but yeah the end of the day you know I'm not paying him what he wants to get paid. I mean, the Mets might, they'd be foolish. I think if they did, right. Then you got uh, Nemo finding Nemo, right. I I love the guy, great enthusiasm, great hustle, but he can't be your everyday outfielder. If he's your everyday outfielder, you're in deep trouble. And then in left field, you know, you should have Dom Smith in there, but he can't play outfield, but you need his bat. Um, you know, and then they have these other guys, uh, Pilar and Villar and, you know, th- these guys, if they're in your everyday lineup, you're not going to win. And everybody's going crazy about McCann as catcher. And I don't see, I don't see the big upside on him. Right. But that's just me. So I don't know why people in baseball and base people that supposedly know more than me in baseball, think the Mets are going to be so good and are putting them a top of the national league or up in the Nash top of the national league. I don't even think they're going to be in the top of the ALE and the NL East. Yeah. Um, I did like the preseason rankings for the Mets. Like they gave, uh, I saw a ton of uh, like uh, saber metrics where they predicted the records. They had the Mets at 96 wins. I, I I don't see I don't see that, but I see them coming out of the NL East. Uh, well, if if I if I was in Las Vegas and I had money, I would bet the under for the Mets on ninety six wins. Yeah, I would too. I definitely would. But uh, 
Um, that is the NL East and the New York Mets. Uh, as we'll move on to the, we'll go on to the AL East for the uh, the other New York team, the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees, as they are in the AL East. Uh, this is going to be a tough division as well. Uh, the uh, Rays, Blue Jays, and the Yankees, uh, I believe, will be the top three in this one. But for my winner in the AL, I'm going to have to go with the Yankees on this one. Uh, they, they basically have uh, the same team as last year, minus uh, Tanaka, basically. Uh, they have Garrett Cole, obviously. Uh, Domingo Herman's back uh, for the Yankees. They added Jamison Tyon from the uh, – Baltimore Orioles, I believe. Jordan Montgomery was pretty good last year for them. Uh, their bullpen is pretty good as well, with uh, uh, led by Chapman at closer. Uh, they have Chad Green, uh, Loizica as well. And then their lineup, obviously, uh, fantastic. Killer. Uh, Killer. Led by uh, DJ LeMahieu, LeMachine. Uh, they got Glaber still, Gio Urshela. They got Judge. Uh, Clint Frazier as well. They have Stanton. Uh, I don't like Stanton. He's too. Uh, he's so too overrated. But, he's uh, so overrated. Yeah. Even their back. Uh, they have Luke Voigt as well. I forgot to uh, say that. They added Jay Bruce as well. X Met. Oh boy. Um, but their backups are just as good as well with uh, Talkman and uh, uh, Kyle Higashioka behind Gary Sanchez. Uh, but yeah, they they're they're my favorite to come out of the AL East, definitely. If they're not, then uh, I, I don't know what people are looking at. But my second spot for uh, the AL East, I'm gonna go with a wild card spot in the AL East, and I'm going to go with the Toronto Blue Jays, the Dunedin Blue Jays, I should say. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love they're not the, playing in they're not playing in Buffalo no they're playing in Dunedin I okay. thought they were going to play in Buffalo but they should they should be playing in yeah, Buffalo they should bring it back well to we're Buffalo. still gonna call them the Buffalo Blue Jays on this show this show okay so the Buffalo Blue Jays will be my uh my wild card spot one of my wild card spots in the AL I just love their lineup uh they have decent pitching uh led by uh Hwanjin Ryu uh uh, uh, Cy Young candidate a few years ago. Uh, they also added uh, ex Matt Stephen Matz to their starting lineup. Um, they also have Robbie Ray and Tanner Roark. So well, I, well, their their pitching staff's not bad. And yeah, you know, yeah. you know Stephen Matz will be a hall, you know, a Cy Young yeah, contender yeah. once he leaves the Mets, right? Yeah, he's <laughs> that is true. He's just gonna he's gonna go. Uh, he's gonna light it up above and beyond know. this year, I believe. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, for the Blue Jays, and then their lineup is a bunch of young kids that have been producing left and right. Uh, Bo Bichette, Kavon Biggio. Uh, they got Vlad Jr. They also added uh, Marcus Simeon from the Athletics. Yes, they did. Uh, they have uh, Randall Grichik as well and George Springer from the Astros. And I think that they have a great lineup. Um, 
a great young lineup. And this is just the beginning for the Buffalo Blue Jays. And I think that they find a way into the uh, playoff spot and wildcard spot. K-Dog, I agree with you. Uh, in the AL East, I have the Yanks finishing first. Buffalo Blue Jays finishing second. Uh, the Rays finishing third. The Orioles in fourth. You know, and the Red Sox in last. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this is a two-team race between the Yanks and Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I think the Rays take a step back from their 2020 success, and I think the O's continue to rebuild as the Sox. And and I don't see how the Yanks can't win this division. Yeah. It's essentially the same team as last year, and I mean that team is just stacked. When you look at their lineup from top to bottom. You know, if they don't, if they don't, if they can stay away from injuries, which is a big if because they haven't been able to stay away from injuries, yeah. right? You know, you got LeMayhew leading off, Judge in the sec second spot, Hicks in the third spot. I'm not a big fan of Stanton. He's in the fourth spot. And I always say you have to be careful about overpaying a superstar on a bad team because it just seems when that superstar leaves the bad team, they're not as good as they 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 were with that bad team, right? Mm -hmm. um, then you got Luke Voigt in the fifth spot, Glaber Day in the sixth spot, Urshela in the seventh spot at third, Frazier and and Sanchez um, in the ninth spot. All right, and uh, although he hasn't been he didn't play that well last year. Uh, that's still a a killer lineup, right? And then you know they're pitching is you know a little suspect you know obviously it's kind of like the uh, the Mets situation you got this great pitcher in Garrett Cole then it kind of falls off real quick after that right you got Kluber you got uh, Talon Montgomery who they're really putting a lot of stock into and then Herman right so you know Kluber depending on you know how well he can pitch coming back from injury We'll find out the other three guys are, are wild cards. So for the Yankees, you know, the, they're, they're, go, they're going to win. They'll win slugfests, I think, in most games, except for when uh, Garrett Cole pitches. And the question becomes, when you get to the playoffs in the World Series, you know, pitching usually wins. You see it every year, year after year. Pitching usually wins and shut down, shuts down powerful lineups. And the question for the Yankees getting into the postseason is, well, they have enough pitching to get it done. Yeah, that, but the, but the, yeah. but they should cruise through the uh, AL East mm -hmm. or through the regular season. You know, and I also agree with you on the Buffalo Blue Jays. I mean, the, these guys have a uh, very strong young lineup, and you talked about Guerrero, Bichette. Tescar Hernandez they add George Springer the, the big free agent splash bring a veteran presence and um, you know I, I just think they made strides last year I think they're you know they're they're maturing and I think they uh, finished second and they win a wild card spot I think the the Rays take a step back I think they've just lost too yeah. much pitching mm -hmm. between losing charlie morton and blake snell yeah you know 40 percent of their starting rotation uh so i i think they take a, a step back i'm not sure a rosarena you know over a full season is going to have the same level of success as he had in the short season 
and in the playoffs, you know, and that's a, that's a big thing for them uh, because the Rays really weren't that powerful uh, and high scoring team. They, again, they won with pitching and they just don't have that pitching yeah. this year. So I, I think they take, take a step back, finish third. And then the Orioles and Sox, I don't think anybody cares about. Yeah, uh, Orioles and Sox probably be in the cellar with us. They'll be, um, they'll be in the cellar. They'll be cellar dwellers with us, yes. Um, as we move on to our next uh, spot, it will be – I'll go with the NL Central on this one. Uh, this is a tough division as well. They, the Reds, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Cubs uh, – all possible playoff teams, but uh, I'm going, I'm for this one. I think I'm going to have to go with the Cincinnati Reds to win Cincinnati the, Reds to win the NL Central. Yes. Holy, that's a bold pick, K Dog. Very bold pick. I do, I do like wow. them a lot. Uh, wow. I liked them last year as well. Um, I think they have a pretty good lineup uh they have a lot of big hitters uh their pitching staff is also pretty good i would say with uh headed by luis castillo uh they also have sunny gray for them as well they have wade miley uh i think that they have a, a pretty good pitching staff and their bullpen is uh equally as good with um, Amir Garrett, uh, they also have Michael Lorenzen, and they have uh, ex-national uh, Sean Doolittle uh, in the pen as well. Uh, their, their lineup is really good, too, I believe, in my opinion, with uh, Eugenio Suarez, uh, Joey Votto, Mike Moustakis, they have Nick Castellanos, Tyler Naquin, uh, Jesse Winkler as well, and Tucker Barnhart uh, catching for all the pitchers. Uh, I believe that they 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 are one, one of the teams to be reckoned with. I think people have underrated them uh, in the past few years. Uh, they almost made the they almost made the playoffs in back to back years uh, a few years ago uh, with Eugenio Suarez being one of the leading home run leaders a few years ago. Uh, I like St. Louis as well. Uh, St. Louis has a really good team as well. I, the thing about the Cardinals, in my opinion, is uh, the only really good pitcher that they have is Jack Flaherty. Uh, he's one of the best in the game, but after that, it's tough going for them. Adam Wainwright's over the hill. Carlos Martinez, uh, always has been uh, up and down really high highs and then really low lows. Uh, and those are basically the only pitchers that uh, for the Cardinals that uh, have any uh, reputation on this team, in my opinion. And then uh, their lineup is pretty good uh, led by newly acquired Nolan Arenado. They also have uh, Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond and Goldschmidt. But uh, I think it's going to come down to pitching, and I think that the Reds have far superior pitching to the Cardinals, and that's why I'm going to pick the Reds to win the NL Central. K-Dog, that's a good assessment of the Reds and um, support for your pick 
for them to win the division. Uh, I was on the Reds bandwagon last year in the extended playoff uh, format, but I'm not on the Reds bandwagon this year. Uh, the NL Central, I can't, de- I can't determine whether this uh, division is good or just mediocre um, because none of these teams are exceptional. Yeah. I don't think any, I don't think any of the, any of these teams can win the world series. There's no, there's no outstanding team in this division. They're all about the same in my opinion, besides, you the know, pirates. It, well, uh, and, 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 and so, so I think this is like the worst division in the NL. I mean, I think it's probably the most competitive division in the NL, yeah. but I don't think the best teams are in the NL where, you know, the NL East, I think there's a lot of quality teams, all better than these teams that are going to fight it out. This, I think everyone's going to be in, in this race for a long time to come. But, um, you know, no team is the odds on favorite, as I said, to win this division or win this World Series. I think at best, this division winner is probably considered the fourth or fifth best team in the National League, right? Because you're going to be behind the Dodgers. You're going to be behind the Braves. You're going to be behind the Padres, right? And you you might even be behind, you know, the Nationals or the Phils. Who knows? But, um, you know... I'm going with the Brewers to win this division. I think yeah. this is a, I think this is a three-team race, K Dog, and I'm not including the Reds in it. Wow. So I'm thinking the Brewers first, Cardinals second, Cubs third, Reds fourth, Pirates last. Right. So yeah. I I think um, I think Yelich and Hasura have back bounce back seasons. Right. I think the Brewers have a couple of top pitchers with Woodruff and Burns. Yeah. The Brewers bullpen was pretty good last year. So I think that can help be the difference in winning the division. I think this is a tight race that will keep fans of this division interested all season long. So these these folks of NL East teams will be happy. You know, I also think the cards might have a chance to win this division. You know, they're always in it. They made a big splash with Nolan Arenado, but I think their pitching, as you said, is suspect. Yes. And, and, and I'm not high on Goldschmidt. And we're going to quickly find out if Arenado is a byproduct of Colorado's Rocky Mountain high elevation, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm a little cautious on the Cardinals. I think the Cubs have some good players in Bryant who, you know, many thought was going to be traded last year. Or during the offseason, I should say. So, you know, how much has he really invested in the Cubs since uh, they were he was on the trading block? And they got Baez. Um, they picked up Jake Arietta, who, you know, we'll give him innings, but I don't think he's anything great anymore. And Zach Davies to bolster a weak pitching staff. They picked up Jock Peterson, which will help in the outfield a bit. But I, I think like many teams, the Cubs starting pitching is suspect. And last year, their bullpen was worse than the Mets I think so um, you know I I think that limits what they can do I expect them to stay relevant but not finish any higher than third in this mediocre division and and you know I have the Reds finishing fourth Uh, I just think their pitching is is a little erratic and I think that you know I want to see some of their young players repeat their their performance from the short season and see if they can uh, that can transcend 
to the regular 162 game season. So, you know, last year I had him in the extended playoff, but uh, this year I don't. So I think the Brewers win. And I think they're the only team. I think the NL Central only gets one team to the playoffs. There's no wild card candidates from this division. Yeah, no, that I have none from that division as well. It's it's going to be a one team out of the NL Central. And uh, moving on to uh, the next division, it will move on to the AL Central. Um, and for this, I'm going to go with the, the team that has been winning it the past couple of years, and that is the Minnesota Twins. Oh, boy. Uh, I know that they are not a uh, – they're not a playoff team, obviously. Like, they're not a deep playoff team, as they usually get out in the first round every time. But uh, their, their, their lineup, uh, their starting pitching staff is pretty good, in my opinion. Uh, they have Jose Barrios uh, as their ace, basically. Uh, Kenta Maeda, also, he could be considered an ace, in my opinion, as well. Uh, fantastic pitching from both of those players uh they recently acquired jay hat from the yankees as well um, oh boy yeah uh they have michael pineda as well pretty good pitcher in my opinion as well for the uh twins their their bullpen is okay led by alex colome at, at a closer spot but they also have uh ex-Met Hansel Robles, so I'm not oh sure boy. that's going to work for them. Oh, but boy. I do like their uh, lineup, uh, led by uh, Jorge Polanco, Miguel, uh, Miguel Sano. They have Andrelton Simmons, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler. Uh, they, they just have a really good lineup that can hit. Josh Donaldson as well, um, that can hit big home runs as well. Um, yeah, I think that they, they will be a team to be, uh, reckoned with in the AL, in my opinion. Uh, but I think that the, the, uh, twins will be my AL central winners and I'm going to go with, um, another team out of this one as well, uh, for the second wild card spot in the AL and it is going to be the Chicago White Sox. Uh, the White Sox obviously showed last year that they are a great team. Um, and this year they'll just be even better with uh, La Russa as uh, head coach manager for the Sox, White Sox. Uh, you like La Russa as the head coach? Yeah, I, I think I think he'll get this team to where they need to be. Okay. I think his time has passed. I, I, I don't like him as the uh, manager of this team, but that's okay. But uh, yeah, their starting lineup is uh, I fantastic, uh, led by Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, and company. Uh, their bullpen is suspect, but I think that they could uh, – I think based on their lineup, they can hit their way – out of uh, some situations where they wouldn't need uh, the bullpen necessarily. They have uh, AL MVP, uh, Jose Abreu, uh, one of the best first basemen in the MLB today. They have Tim Anderson as well, uh, Yohan 
Moncada. Uh, they also added Adam Eaton from the Nats. They have uh, Luis Robert. Uh, and, uh, yeah, their lineup is pretty, pretty good, in my opinion. Um, so I think they will be the wild card spot. Yeah, K-Dog, um, again, you've, you've done your homework, and I think you make a good case for these two teams uh, finishing towards the top of the AL Central. Uh, my AL Central prediction is the White Sox finish first, the Twins finish second, Cleveland's in third, and I don't think anybody cares about Kansas City or Detroit Rock City. So um, I picked the White Sox last year to make the playoffs which was a little bit more of a stretch and surprised um, last year. This year, the White Sox aren't going to creep up on anybody. They won't be a surprise to anybody. You talked about them adding La Russa. I'm not a big fan of La Russa. Like I said, I think his time is gone, come and gone. But, you know, the Sox have one of the best pitchers in the game in Giolito, K-Dog. And I, I think, you know, their pitch, they, they have many young offensive stars you know, last year put up serious offensive numbers. I expect that them to repeat that offensive prowess and get solid pitching. And this year, you know, they uh, passed the Twins in the standings and, and win their AL Central uh, division crown. I think the Twins finish second in the standings. They earn a wild card bid and they lose in the first round of the playoffs again, as they typically do. I mean, not as not much have, has changed really from a roster perspective for either of these teams. I think they'll be very competitive. Um, those two are the class of, of the division by far. You know, I think Cleveland takes a, a step back, but, you know, they have good, they have pretty good pitching, which I think will keep them, you know, in the, in the discussion. Uh, you know, they're a young team. And personally, I like the trade they made with uh, with the Mets trading Lindor to the Mets because they got a couple of quality players mm -hmm. that will help them, I think, in the long run in Rosario and Jimenez. Um, you know, and they don't have to pay them a lot of money. And they fill two position starting positions uh, potentially in their lineup every day. So I think that, uh, you know, that trade helps them. Uh, but I think they take a step back. And again, I mean, Kansas City and Detroit, um, you know, Detroit hasn't been relevant in years. And Kansas City, since their World Series uh, cha championship, kind of has just slowly declined. And, you know, that they are don't I don't think they're going to be competitive this year. But uh, so White Sox, champ, twins, wild card. Yes. Uh, so we'll move on to. Our next division, which will be the NL West, and I have two teams coming out of this. Uh, obviously, uh, I got to pick the Dodgers coming out of the NL West, winning the NL West. Uh, they're the same team as their World Series team last year. Uh, it's just, and they added Trevor Bauer, which is just uh, unfair. But uh, they have Kershaw, Dustin May. Uh, Trevor Bauer, Walker Bueller, Tony Gonsolin as their starting pitchers. Uh, David Price, I believe, is coming out of the pen this year. Uh, they got Blake Trinan out of the pen. Julio Arias out of the pen as well. Uh, it's Kenley Jansen as their closer. It's just insane. Uh, their starting lineup also insane. Uh, 
they have Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, uh, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, Max Muncy, Will Smith at catcher. Uh, their backups are even fantastic. Gavin Lux. Uh, they also have Chris Taylor. They have AJ Pollock uh, as a backup outfielder. Uh, this team is just so deep. Uh, there's no, it's just one of the best teams I've ever seen uh, with their pitching staff, their bullpen, their starting lineup. It's just top to bottom, amazing uh, players. Uh, they got a bunch of Hall of Famers on this team as well, future Hall of Famers. But for my wild card spot, I'm going to go with the Pods, San Diego Padres. Uh, they also have a really good team uh, led by you, Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, Chris Paddock, uh, Drew Pomerantz as their starting lineup uh, goes for, for their pitching staff. Uh, Mike Clevenger will be back next year. Uh, they also have uh, Lamette coming back as well for the Padres. Uh, their starting lineup, a bunch of young guys. Uh, they acquired Hassan Kim from the KBL, Korean Baseball League. They also have, obviously, one of the best young young players in the MLB today, uh, Tatis Jr. They have Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, Jake Cronenworth. They have Will Myers, Trent Grisham, Tommy Pham. Uh, it's just they also have a very deep lineup, and the NL West is going to be a very tough matchup. It's a two-team race, but uh, I think Dodgers come out first place. Padres come second wild card. But these teams, I believe, will go far in the playoffs. Hey, dog, another good assessment. You can tell you've uh, done your homework researching uh, MLB. Uh, I agree this is a two-team race with the remainder of the division being under 500. Uh, I'm projecting the Dodgers to win the division going out on a limb there. Yeah. And uh, the Franciscans finish second. I have the San, Fran San Francisco Giants finishing well back of the Franciscans in third. And uh, the D-backs and the Rockies fourth and fifth, respectively. Uh, I expect the Dodgers to win this division. They essentially return almost every starter and pitcher. I mean, they bolstered their lineup, added Cy Young pitcher Bauer, as you said, Corey Knubel, uh, uh, right-handed pitcher. They also have David Price returning. Not that I'm a big fan of David Price, but he's returning after opting out due to COVID last year. So unless they're hit hard by injuries, I don't see the, the Padres catching them. The Padres finished second, earned the first wild card spot. The Padres have a strong lineup also. You talked about Hosmer, Tatis, Machado, Smith. They added pitching with you, Darvish. I'm not that high on you, Darvish. I think he's a good pitcher on bad teams, but doesn't seem to elevate a good team when he's added to it. Mm -hmm. uh, they also added Joe Musgrove and Blake Snell, which I think is a much better pickup than you, Darvish, that's for certain. Mm -hmm. uh, but these additions give them an opportunity to beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. I don't think they win the division, but they can beat them in a playoff series. And the, the rest of the division is rebuilding, will most likely be at or under 500. I don't see any of these three teams making a run at a wild card. Last year, I foolishly picked the D-backs to make the playoffs <laughs> in the expanded format, but I will not repeat that history. 
Yeah, no, that was Diamondbacks' bad pick last year. That was a terrible pick, yes. Terrible um, pick. And as we'll move to our final division of the day for the MOB preview, it is the AL West. And I think it will be the Houston Astros winning the AL West. Oh, that's a bold pick, K-Dog. Bold pick. Yeah, I know it's a bold pick, but uh, made the playoffs last year, got all the way to the AL title game uh, series uh, and uh, lost to the Rays. But they're uh, a pretty good team and uh, uh, led by Zach Granke, Lance McCullers in the starting lineup for the uh, for the Astros uh, starting pitching wise but then into the lineup they they still have a pretty good lineup uh, with Altuve, Bregman, Correa, uh, Guriel, Jordan Alvarez, uh, they have Kyle Tucker as well and uh, they I just think they have a pretty good team this is the team that's been to the playoffs multiple times they have a veteran presence and they know how to get to the playoffs. And I think they'll do it again. And I have the Houston Astros winning the AL West uh, with the angels coming in second. And then uh, I think the three other teams are going to be uh, pretty bad this year. In my opinion, I think the A's are going to be pretty bad this year. Well, no, I think the, I think it will be, I think it will be the Strohs. Then it'll be uh Two a two three race between the athletics and the uh angels, as I said before. Uh, I I just think that uh, for the athletics, they lost Marcus Simeon, which was a big locker room presence and a pretty good player for them as well. And uh, they added Jed Lowry, so I I don't know how much better uh, they could be he's gonna be stealing money from them like he stole money from the Mets yeah probably but uh out of the AL West I have the Astros winning okay well I I don't agree with you on this one uh the AL West I am picking the athletics to win the division wow yeah I'm picking the athletics to win the division I'm picking the LA Angels to come in second. Holy. And then I'm picking the Houston Asterisks to finish third. Uh, Seattle Mariners and Texas Rangers finish fourth and fifth, yeah, respectively. Terrible. Yeah, they, they won't be a factor in this, um, in this at all. But, you know, last year I picked the Angels to make the playoffs in the expanded format, and I was completely wrong there. They were atrocious baseball team last year but i think they've solidified their roster just enough i think they finish second and i think they uh finish in the wild card and make the playoffs as a wild card i still like the athletics you know you talked about Simeon leaving the team but i think they still have enough i think they still have enough pitching i think they have enough bullpen help and i think they have enough of a lineup where um, they will finish in first in the AOS. Because I don't think the AOS is going to be that good top to bottom. I mean, I don't think the LA Angels are going to be that great. Um, I, but I do think mm-hmm. they'll make the, 
the playoffs as a wild card. And, and I know Houston had a great run last year in the playoffs. You know, they just barely got in uh, the extended format and they had a great run in the playoffs. But I just think, you know, they've peaked. I think they've peaked. They've lost Springer. They've lost other other players. Carrasco wants a million, a zillion dollars there. You know, they, he's already rejected one contract offer from, you know, the, the Strohs. So I think, you know, he's going to be a distraction. I'm not a big fan of Carrasco uh, anyway, but, um, you know, I, I think that'll be a distraction. And I, I just think that, you know, they're not the team everyone remembers them to be when they were, you know, at the top of the American League. I think time has gone by. I think they take a significant step back. You know, last season, Altuve wasn't that great, right? Mm -hmm. He struggled. And I just think, you know, those struggles may continue, um, you know, as as he ages. So I'm, uh, so I'm picking them to finish third and I'm, and they don't even make the playoffs. K dog. Wow. That's a uh, bold pick, yeah. huh? Yeah, that bold is a pick. I think it's a bold pick, but, uh, for the AOS, we're done with the AOS and for the, uh, world series, uh, I'm going to pick the Dodgers coming out of the, uh, national league. And then, in the AL, I I guess I have to go with the Yankees. Uh, I know that's the the chalked version of the World Series, uh, the two favorites coming out of the AL and NL, but uh, that's just how I see it. Uh, both of these teams, obviously, uh, very good teams, um, and I think both of these teams will come out. Yankees versus Dodgers, and then I have Dodgers winning in uh, five games, probably. Wow! So, so you're you're going the chalk the whole way. Yep. You're going the 1970s World Series rematch of the Dodgers and the Yankees, huh? Yeah. Well, I thought it last year, and it didn't happen. So, <laughs> probably, <laughs> uh, uh, probably going to uh, jinx it again. But yeah, that's what I think. Okay, so so my World Series K Dog is slightly different from yours. Slightly different. Okay. Um, well, so out of the National League, I'm taking the Franciscans. All right. And to like go that. to the World Series, so the San Diego Padres go to the World Series. That's 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 my I pick, do. right? It's it's one of the yeah for me. It's one of the teams uh, coming out of the NOS to win it all. Right. And, and I've been thinking long and hard about the AL representative, because what worries me about the Yankees is they're going to have great offense. But in the playoffs, their, yeah, their pitching. pitching is going to be really suspect. Right. That's my concern about the Yankees. But as I go through the AL I'm trying to think who, who, who's, who's going to beat, beat the them? Yankees, yeah. who, who's going to beat the Yankees. And, um, you know, I don't see anybody beating the Yankees. So I think it's going to be Padres Yankees in the world series. And I'm going with the Padres to win in six yeah. games. K dog wow. Padres yeah. hoist the championship flag for the first time. Yeah. I, I, th I, I also think uh, like, obviously I have the Dodgers winning it all, but uh, I think it's one of the teams out of the NL NL West. Uh, 
that is going to win the World Series this year. They both of those teams are just too deep pitching wise, bullpen wise, and starting lineup wise. So I think it'll be one of those two teams to win it all. I would, yeah. It, well, it'll be interesting to see. So we got the long journey, long journey to October and November for the playoffs. We'll see how COVID impacts the baseball this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll see if, if the Mets are in the cellar with us. Yes, we will. As uh, now that we're done with the MLB preview, we'll move on to the NHL and we'll go with the Islanders and Rangers rewind and preview. And we'll start out with the Islanders first. And the Islanders rewind starts off. They had three games this week. Um, And we'll start out with the first game against the Washington Capitals. Uh, On Tuesday, it was against the Caps. Uh, It was a one to nothing win for the Islanders. Uh, Shutout from Semyon Varlamov on the Isles side. Fantastic game. 29 saves on 29 save attempts. Uh, Vanasek, on the other hand, for the uh, Caps, also had a fantastic game as well. With 38 saves on 39 attempts, he got shelled the entire game by the Islanders. Very uncommon for the Islanders as well. But uh, in the third period, no scoring in the first and second, but in the third, Brock Nelson gets the Isles on the board with his 14th of the season, making it one, nothing eventually the game winner, obviously, but uh, the Islanders won in the face-off department. Both teams were 0 for two from the power play Uh, Islanders outshot the caps as well and out hit them. And uh, just an all around great game from the Islanders. This is a typical Islanders win, uh, one nothing against the Caps. Hey, dog, you're correct. It's a, it's a typical Islanders win, and this is how the Islanders have to beat teams like the Caps that have more scoring punch than the Isles do, right? So, like I always say, you know, you don't have to turn on the Islanders game until the third period because they'll be tied. And again, they were tied at zero, so. You could have watched uh, the NCAA tournament. I think it was on the same night and then uh, turned to the aisles in the third at the start of the third because it was tied 0-0 once again going into the third, which is a good position uh, to be in, I guess, against the Caps, although I like to see him have some breathing room. But, you know, recently when they've had leads going to the third period, they haven't been successful and they've been blowing them. So I, I think, um, you know, they they played a tight checking game you know this game was much different than the 7-4 goal scoring affair that they had uh, the game before which you know is one that is not the style of game they want to get into with with the caps they got back to islanders hockey verlamov was solid Uh, they put up a lot more shots than they typically do uh, in a game but uh, they certainly played uh, a tight checking game they were a lot more physical which they have to be if they lose that physicality they're not going to win I mean um, you know they have to hit they have to be tight checking uh, and that's what they did in this game that was then and that was the, the key to uh, 
victory in in this hard fought game and that's how they're going to win games going forward yeah that is that is very true uh for the islanders they played they played uh once again on thursday against the flyers at the coliseum it was a 3-2 win in a shootout uh pretty good games for both of the goaltenders Ilya Sorokin had 25 saves on 27 attempts. Carter Hart, on the other hand, had 21 saves on 23 attempts. Uh, a pretty good game for a lackluster season from Hart. But uh, in the end, uh, they uh, the Flyers did not win. But uh, in the first period, uh, the Isles started the scoring with two goals, uh, basically a minute apart. Brock Nelson scored with six minutes in the game, six minutes into the game, his 15th. And then Everly scored uh, a minute later with his 15th of the season as well. But uh, uh, half, about halfway through the first, Nicholas Aoub Kubel for the Flyers scored uh, his third of the season to make it 2 1. And then in the second period, uh, Vorasech for the Flyers equalized the game with his seventh of the season, making it 2-2, taking that score all the way to the shootout. And uh, in the shootout, everyone missed but Brock Nelson, the game-winning goal once again, back-to-back games, bringing the Islanders to a 3-2 win. You know, at this point, K-Dog, you take you take two points any way you can get them. You know, um, I think the last two times they played the Flyers, it ended up, the Islanders ended up winning in a shootout. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Flyers are a team that give seem to give up a lot of goals. And, you know, the Islanders don't score a lot of goals. So you would expect that these would be close, low scoring games. However, you know, the, the Flyers defense is um, fair at best and their goaltending has been just so poor, right? But these games are giving Carter Hart some confidence and um, giving the you know, Billy Elliott or Brian Elliott, I should say, some confidence um, that'll help the Flyers as a whole down the stretch here. But you know, the Islanders really, I would think, even though they're not putting a lot of shots on that, should be scoring more than, you know, two goals in regulation and overtime uh, to force a shootout. But nevertheless, you know, and I don't like the Islanders in overtime or a shootout, but um, because I just think against some teams, they, they can't they can't match up uh, well. But they, they stole, you know, two more points from the Flyers. And that's all you have to do. You keep keep getting two points, two points, two points. And, you know, you'll uh, start putting distance between yourself and, you know, that fifth spot, which is all, which is all you want to do um, at this point in time. You just want to make sure that you put the flyers away, you know, and you put the Rangers away and you're comfortably in the top four spot. So beating the flyers uh, in this game, picking up a point, spreading their, uh, their lead over the Rangers, increasing their lead over the Rangers, I should say, you know, did the trick. So got the job done. It wasn't pretty, um, but, you know, most of the Islanders games are not pretty, but they they uh, increased their lead on the Flyers by a point. Yes. And then uh, riding a four-game streak, a four-game win streak into the Friday matchup against the Rangers, 
the Islanders just had a uh, not so great game as they lost to the Rangers four to one. Georgie F for the Rangers, a fantastic game. 31 saves on 32 save attempts. Uh, on the other side, Varlamov also had a really good game as well. 32 saves on 35 attempts. But in the second period, that's where the scoring started with Alexi Lafreniere's seventh of the season. Uh, then Colin Blackwell for the Rangers as well added four minutes later, his 12th of the season, make it 2 nothing. Uh, a goal got called back from Brock Nelson, but then later Andy Green scored his first of the season uh, with five minutes left to go in the period, making it 2-1. Uh, but then after that, in the third period, it was all Rangers with uh, Kondre Miller with his fourth of the season. And then Mika Zibanejad with the empty netter with a minute to go, making it four to one Rangers. Uh, the faceoffs were tied. Isles were 0 for 1 on the power play. And then the Rangers outshot the Islanders 36 to 32. But uh, Artemi Panarin had two assists for uh, the Rangers, and uh, the Isles lose four to one against the Rangers. Uh, tough loss. Yes, K Dog. The Rangers handed the Islanders an atypical home loss. Right, this is I think only their second home regulation loss this season. They've been very good at home. And, you know, the Rangers are kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. They, they have a lot of ability, scoring ability, but they have typically they have so many defensive lapses where teams will score a bunch of goals in a short period of time. And just, you know, that's the turning point of the game. Um, you know, fortunately for the Rangers, the Islanders aren't one of those teams that scores a lot of goals. So their defensive um, mistakes and errors aren't always capitalized on by the, the Islanders. And in this game, the Rangers youth served them well with Lafreniere scoring and uh, Keandre Miller scoring from, from the defensive uh, side of the line. And, you know, certainly uh, Georgie F played a, a good game, but the Islanders, their scoring chances weren't that great. I didn't think I, I thought they played without any energy or spark. They were really they just were really flat in this game, which, you know, in a rivalry game, it's surprising to see that um, from the Islanders, because, you know, typically those games, regardless of the standings, regardless of how competitive each team is, you know, both teams usually come to play and they, you know, they play their, their best games against each other. This game, the Rangers just outplayed them. The Islanders were again, flat, slow. Um, you know, they didn't take the play to the Rangers like they should have. And, you know, you, you can't be losing to the New York Rangers because they're a team that's, you know, they're, they're out of it basically, unless, you know, one of these top four teams collapses, whether it's Boston or the Islanders or somebody, um, because I think the Islanders still have a double digit lead over the Rangers at this point, but you know, they play the Rangers four more times down the stretch. And I said this last week, 
They play the Caps four more times now, and they play the Rangers four more times now. So it's not like playing, you know, Buffalo and the Flyers eight more times. You got teams that are, you know, in the playoffs or want to be relevant. And, and, you know, one's a rivalry game where, you know, all bets are off and, you know, the Islanders could lose four to the Rangers. You know, I, I don't think that'll happen. I think they're most likely split. Um, I don't see either team taking a, uh, you know, a dominant uh, role in the series, but, you know, this is a game they have to win. They can't lose these mm-hmm. games, especially at home. Yeah. that Yeah. They, these are the games that, they need to win, uh, like you said, especially against the Flyers and Rangers to get them out of uh, playoff contention. And uh, the Islanders finish off the week uh, today against the Rangers at 7 p.m. But then taking a look at, uh, taking a look at the week ahead after that, the Islanders have three games coming up next week. Back to back against the Bruins at the TD Garden and then against the Flyers in Philly on Sunday. Uh, and I think that the Islanders will go 2-1 and one this week. Uh, I believe that they will split with the Bruins and then beat the Flyers in Philly on Sunday. So, K-Dog, I'm not usually very optimistic about the Island Islanders. Um, and typically, I would agree with you that they're going to split with, with Boston. But I'm I'm calling for the Islanders to go three and zero this week. Wow! I think they're going to take both from the Philly from uh, take both from Boston. I take one from the Philly. But that being said, you know I'm concerned they lose two in a row to the Rangers, right? So, yeah. um, you know. But I think next week they I'm going out on a limb. I'm optimistic. They played well against Boston this year, right? And they seem to get do enough to get by Philly. So I, I think they take, they go three and oh, if they go three and oh, it's a tremendous week for the Islanders. Two and one will be a good week for them as well. But I think they go three and oh, and, you know, and we can't forget about the Islanders trade, right? Where they, you know, yes, made a trade uh, with, yeah. uh, the with uh, the Devils, right? For center uh, Travis Zajac, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, also winger Kyle Palmieri. So, you know, for, for the Islanders, that's certainly an, an upgrade. I mean, it's not huge, right? I don't think it's as big as the trade they made at the deadline for JG Pajot, but mm-hmm. I think it's an upgrade, right? Cause that means Bellows doesn't have to play, right? So he's at, he'll be out of lineup. You'll never see Bellows again. And, uh, you know, Leo Komarov may also be the other odd man out. Yeah. Um, right. Because they're going to, they're going to take the spot of two people, but Bellos will be one. And, you know, uh, Leo, Leo will probably be the other, you know, um, because I, I don't see the Islanders taking either of these two players out of the lineup unless they're hurt. You know, personally, I, I'd take Josh Bailey out of the lineup and give him something to think about. Because, you know, he's got to start, he's got to start scoring. He's got to be making more of a contribution than he is. And, you know, maybe sitting him for a game or two gives him something to think about. Not sure, but I think this is a good trade for the Isles. Didn't give up much, anything of significance. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it just gives him a little bit more depth. He can't never have enough depth at center, you know, and Zajac, 
gives them experience and, and more depth at center. And then, um, you know, Palmieri bolsters their wing play, you know, cause they're, they, you know, they, they lack depth on the wing. So it'll be interesting on how trots pairs, you know, what lines he puts these guys on, but, uh, I think it's a, it's a, uh, an upgrade, not significant, but you know, uh, an upgrade nevertheless without giving out up a lot. So, uh, I, I think it can only help the Islanders try to score some more goals. Yeah. I think it was a pretty good trade because they, they gave away basically uh, no one in this one besides a first round pick. They gave up two uh, mid prospects in my opinion, and then obviously the first round pick, but yet this will bolster the goal scoring, I believe, and uh, give the Islanders a better opportunity to go far in the playoffs. All right, and then they got to sign Palmieri, right? Because he's a free agent. Yes, yeah, I believe he'll he'll sign because he is from Long Island, and uh, probably wants to play the rest of his career there. I I would think. But um, moving on to our our Rangers rewind. Uh, the Rangers had three games this week: uh, two against the Penguins and uh, one against the Islanders. So far. They play the Islanders, obviously, on Sunday as well. But on Tuesday, they played the Penguins, and they won 8-4 to four, uh, against the Penguins, uh, kind of like when the Islanders beat the Caps 8-4. to four. But uh, Igor Shesterkin saw 45 shots, saved 41 of them. Pretty good game for him ju- uh, based on the, uh, the game outcome. But uh, Casey DeSmith, on the other hand, gave up four goals on 14 shots. Uh, bad game for DeSmith in this one. But it started out hot for the Rangers. A minute, a minute 35 into the game, Colin Blackwell scored his 10th of the season. Uh, and then in the seventh minute, uh, Mika Zibanejad scored his 13th of the year. A minute later, Panarin scored his 12th making a three, nothing Rangers. And then McCann, uh, McCann for the Penguins made it three, one, but then Ryan Strom with uh, 20 seconds left in the period scored a power play goal, his 12th of the year, making it four to one at the end of one. And then in the second period, only two goals were scored. Lafreniere scored his sixth of the season and uh, Michael Matheson for the, uh, Penguins scored his fourth of the season, making it 5-2 uh, Rangers. In the third period, the Rangers once again started the scoring. Capo Caco made it 6-2. Uh, then Jake Gensel for the Penguins made it 6-3. And then later, Adam Fox and Bucinavich score within, a min- within 30 seconds of each other. Uh, Fox's fifth, Puchinavich's 15th of the season, making it eight to three. And then uh, DeMoulin scored his first of the season for the Penguins, making it eight four, but that amounted to nothing. Uh, surprisingly, the Penguins led the faceoffs 36 to 25. The Rangers were perfect on their power plays, three for three, while the Penguins were one for three. And, uh, yeah, the Rangers had a really good game all around. 
uh, thanks to the power play, but beat the Penguins 8-4 on Tuesday. Hey, dog, this, this game was over at the drop of the puck. Rangers got out early. They jumped on Pittsburgh early. Pittsburgh's goaltending betrayed them. Uh, DeSmith was just not on his game, certainly. You know, and that's really the thing for Pittsburgh is, you know, Tristan Yari's the number one, but, you know, how, 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 how's their goaltending going to be in the playoffs, assuming they make the playoffs, which I think they will at this point. But, you know, mm-hmm. the Rangers really capitalized on, on the, the poorest goaltending of Pittsburgh. They threw a lot of pucks at the net. You know, and again, you know, the Rangers can score a lot of goals. They have a lot of skilled uh, talent. A lot of it is young talent. Uh, and they could put the puck in the net. The, the problem for the Rangers is, you know, they give up a lot of goals too, typically, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, they gave up. I know some of it was in garbage time, but they gave up four goals to Pittsburgh. And, you know, on most days you give up four goals in a game, you're not going to win. Yeah. And, you know, um, this was more of a loose skating open ice game, you know, in the rate, which the Rangers capitalized on early. Right. And then Pittsburgh had to play catch up, but you know, they, their problem is the Rangers problem is that they're inconsistent on defense the defense is the is their Achilles heel. Fox, tremendous offensive defenseman leading the way from the blue line. But they don't have, you know, they don't have a lot of depth either, right? If they're not getting scoring from their first two lines, third and fourth line, you know, yeah, you're not expecting them to score. But even the Islanders have more depth one through four on their lines. You know, they get more, they seem to get more contributions from their third and fourth line than the Rangers do. Rangers got to get their goal scoring from their stars, obviously. And then, you know, they got to get Lafreniere and Capocacco in the mix too, because they, they're their young studs. But until they get more consistent on offense, you know, they're not going to be, I mean, defense, they're not going to be successful. You know, they have pretty good goaltending with Georgiev and Igor. And Georgiev was really good, stopped a lot of pucks in that game. But, you know, when the games get closer, if they make the playoffs, which I don't think they're going to, you know, the game changes quite a bit and it becomes less of an open ice free skating game and it becomes more of a tight checking neutral zone trap game, right, which is what the Islanders play. And, um, you know, so first the Rangers got to get there. Uh, time's running out on them. I can't remember exactly how many games are left, but they're at least double digit lead behind the Islanders. I know that. And, um, you know, I think they're a double digit lead behind the uh, Bruins who are in reside in fourth place as well. So they got a lot of work ahead of them. Yes, they do. And uh, the Thursday game didn't help their cause as they lost to the Penguins five to two. Uh, Tristan Yari back in net, uh, with uh, 22 saves on 24 attempts. Pretty good game from Yari. Shesterkin got shelled in this one. 27 saves on 31 attempts. Four goals in. Uh, The scoring started in the first period with Zahorna for the Penguins, making it 1-0, second of the season for him. No goals were scored in the first after that. 1-0 Penguins at the end of one. In the second period, Colin Blackwell equalized it for the Rangers, his 11th, making it 1-1. But then after that, 
two unanswered goals from the Penguins, by the way, of Chris Letang and Evan Rodriguez, making it uh, three to one uh, Penguins at the end of two. And then in the third period, two goals were scored by the Penguins, by Zucker and Mark Jankowski, uh, their sixth and fourth of the season. Kevin Rooney scored in between them for the Rangers, his sixth of the season, making it 5-2 Penguins in this one. Both were one for four from the power play. Uh, Penguins dominated the faceoffs in this one and outshot the Rangers 32-24, to but the uh, Rangers dropped this one 5-2 against the Penguins. So this is the other side of the coin for the Rangers that I was talking about. Gave up more than four goals and they didn't, they didn't win. Mm-hmm. So they, they did not, you know, you're, you're not going to get a scoring outburst of five or six goals a game, every game. You're just, you're just not going to do that. So you have to have strong defense and, you know, Igor didn't play his best game. You know, he typically keeps them in these games, but he did not keep them in this game. That's for certain, but they had too many, letdowns on the defensive side of the puck and you know the rangers are not like i said they're not going to be successful so they clamp down on d and this was one of those games where you know they just didn't play solid defense they didn't get good goaltending from shesterkin and as a result you know they played a team that could score as many goals as they do you know, and they put five up on the board and, you know, Rangers only got two, but you know, they, they need to find the Rangers need to find that happy medium where they get a better balance of defense and offense. Right. Cause you know, mm-hmm. they could score a lot of goals, but just, they're not going to score that many goals every night. And then you got to rely on your defense and, you know, the Rangers aren't going to win many two, one games. That's for certain. Yeah. Yeah, that is, uh, you're right about that one. Uh, it's either feast or famine for the Rangers as, uh, we already talked about the Islanders, uh, game, a four, one win for the Rangers. And then they play the Isles once again, uh, today at 7 PM Sunday, but taking a look at the week ahead for the Rangers, it's four games against the devils this week. Four uh, games against the Devils this week? Yes, they play Oh my word. One game at the Prudential Center and uh two games at the Prudential Center Tuesday and Sunday and then uh Thursday and Saturday they play at the Garden. So uh the Rangers need to take advantage week. here. A huge week for them. They need to take advantage of the uh the lowly Devils in the cellar of the Eastern Division and I think that they'll go 3 and 1. Uh, they have had success against the Devils in the past, and I think they will continue this uh, in in this week's uh, matchups against the Devils. Uh, I think that the Devils will squeak out one win, uh, maybe on the Sunday game at, at home for them. The Devils it will be at home, but I think that the Rangers will go 3-1 and one this week. K-Dog... Like you said, the Rangers must capitalize on playing the Devils. You know, but the problem is the Devils are not as bad as the Buffalo Sabres, yeah. right? The Buffalo is an organization that's struggling. 
Um, but the, the, the devils aren't at that level. They haven't hit rock bottom like the Sabres have. So I think they have, they're going to play tough. They're going to play hard. Uh, the Rangers need these wins desperately. If they're going to get back into this and be a serious contender, they must at least go three and one this week. Uh, and I think, I think they will go three and one this week. I think somehow, some way, the Devils steal one game from the the the, the Rangers, right? I think you know after a weekend a weekend series with the Islanders, I could see them having a letdown a little bit, right? Um, but they got to go three and one. I think mm-hmm. they go three and one. Anything less than three and one for the Rangers, two and two doesn't help them yeah. help their cause whatsoever. Right. And, and all they need is two points, no matter how they get it, whether it's in a overtime or a shootout, it doesn't matter. They need to, they need, they need to get six points out of this. I think they, they will, if they don't, then, you know, they, they've let an opportunity go by. That's for certain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Ranger big week for the Rangers coming up, but uh, now that we're done with the NHL, we'll move on to the NBA with the Nets and Knicks rewind and preview And we'll start out with the Nets first. Uh, The Nets had three games this week uh, coming by the way of the Knicks, Pels, and the Lakers uh, last night. But we'll start out with the Knicks game. And uh, the Nets pulled off the win 114 to 112. Uh, The Knicks controlled this game basically the entire time until the – in the first half, the Knicks controlled the entire game. Uh, and then the second half, uh, the Nets came storming back for the win. Uh, this happened in the game against the Rockets, too, where uh, the Rockets controlled the first half, and then the Nets uh, decided to wake up in the second half. Uh, the scoring for the Nets was led by uh, Kyrie Irving, 40 points on 15 of 28 shooting, seven assists as well. Jeff Green added 23 points uh, to the Nets total. Joe Harris had 16 points in this game as well. LaMarcus Aldridge added eight points and six rebounds uh, for the Nets. Uh, Alizé Johnson, the uh, 10-day contractor, had uh, 12 points and seven rebounds for the Nets as well. And... uh, James Harden left this game four minutes in with a uh, with his hamstring injury uh, once again. So I believe they should just uh, take, give him time off uh, it, for the for- foreseeable future, get ready for the playoffs. On the other side, Julius Randle had 19 points, 15 rebounds, 12 assists, trying to carry this team as best as he can on 7-19 shooting from the field. R.J. Barrett added 22 points to the Knicks total. And Reggie Bullock added 21 points to the Knicks total. Uh, very good game for the, the Nets, a comeback win. Um, but on the other side, the Knicks uh, blew this one. Okay, dog. Yeah. And, you know, this game is more of a testament of the Knickerbockers than it is of the Metropolitans. You know, the, how many games have the Knickerbockers blown in the third and fourth quarter lately. Oh, wow. Just think of just think of what their record would be if they can 
convert these halftime leads into victories. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a problem for, for the Knickerbockers, you know, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of them being a young team because I think a more veteran team would not blow this many games in the third and fourth quarter. I mean, first half they were dynamite. They played so well against the Nets. You know, I figured the Nets were in deep trouble, right? Especially when King James went out. That's right. Not LeBron right on this show. King James is James Harden, especially when King James went out, K dog, you know, you figured all the, the Nets are done. They don't have Harden who is their MVP, right? Duran hasn't returned yet. And then you got, you know, Kyrie, and, you know, surprisingly, you know, I thought maybe Kyrie may say, well, well, I can't play the second half because the other two aren't playing the second half. But, you know, surprisingly, the, the Nets came back even with, you know, yeah. out <laughs> King James playing and they really took it to the, the, the Knickerbockers. They ran the floor. They beat them up and down the floor in, in this in the second half. And, you know, Kyrie was hot. Um, and Kyrie's a really good player. If he could keep it, keep focused, you know, he, he'd be an exceptional play. He could be one of the best guards in the league if he kept his focus, mm-hmm. if not the best guard in the league. But I think the, the Knicks youth and their inexperience has really shown this year when they blow their the third and fourth quarter leads. And I think, you know, as time goes on, they'll be more dangerous because they won't be blowing these leads. But you know what? You know, in terms of me making the playoffs this year and hopefully not being at a playoff round, uh, playing round, they they can't afford to keep losing these third these third and fourth quarter leads. Can't do it. They've worked too hard to get in the first quarter, first half lead, and then blow it in the second half. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. they got to step up. RJ has to step up. They have to play quick IQ. They have to play a full complete game they can't let down on defense when they have the leads and that's that's what happens yeah that that is their problem Uh, as of late they've blown multiple uh first half leads and uh to some bad teams some bad teams too yeah um but uh moving on for the nets uh on wednesday they played the pelicans in katie's return and absolutely thank goodness absolutely destroyed the pelicans 139 to 111 uh this game was not even close at all ever uh Kyrie had 24 points on uh 50% shooting from the field uh LaMarcus Aldridge uh surprisingly 22 points on 8 of 12 shooting in this one uh Joe Harris added 14 points Jeff Green added 11 for them KD had off the bench had 17 points, seven rebounds, five assists on a perfect five of five shooting and two of two from three point lands on the other side. Uh, it was Eric Bledsoe that had the leading score, 26 points on nine and 17 shooting, but uh, got ejected from this game. Uh, Zion Williamson had 16 points and four rebounds and six assists. And uh, Jackson Hayes, the other uh, second year from that draft, had 11 points and six point, uh, 11.6 rebounds on five of seven shooting. Uh, and that was basically the scoring bulk. Uh, also, Lonzo Ball, 15 points as well for the Pelicans. 
but that was the bulk of the scoring and the Nets routed the Pelicans 139 to 111. Hey, dog, and, and as we discussed last week, that, that that's what we thought, that the Nets would just take care of business against the Pelicans. I know everybody's high on Zion Williamson, and, um, you know, he played he played fairly well, but I think, you know, the Lamar Aldridge played really well in this game. And I think he, he did a good job against Zion Williamson. And, you know, I think he's a good addition to the Metropolitans. I think he's certainly a better addition than Blake Griffin. You know, he'll, he, he's going to give him solid minutes in the paint. He's going to rebound. He's got a good post game. And I think that couples with uh, Nick Claxton, who I really like Nick Claxton, um, you know, he'll be able to mentor Nick Claxton as well. Mm -hmm. And I think those two, you know, will be a a solid post presence for the the Metropolitans. And they're going to need that in the playoffs because, you know, you might get, you go cold from the field. You got to get the ball down in the post. Right. And um, you know, they got a quality center in, in both the veteran and uh, you know, the 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 rookie uh claxton mm-hmm. and you know they got to capitalize on that and they got to start getting an inside game you know and in that game the return of uh durant was good right you know getting him back on the court is key nobody knew when he was coming back so the fact that he you know he made it back to the court was great and you know there was the best thing about that and having that post presence there was just this one play where Durant had the ball and he did a dribble drive and every three players went to Durant Aldridge was cutting back door he just dished it to him for the jam and that is what the Nets have to do if they ever get their big three all playing at one time Mm -hmm. because if if they can have the big three Joe Harris Joe Harris and Lamar Aldridge playing at the same time you shuffle in Claxton you shuffle in Blake Griffin maybe who knows you don't even really need them but you know they focus so much on the perimeter that that post game will be wide open for these guys and I think that's the biggest thing there but you know uh, the return of Durant was great I'm really concerned about not having King James because he is the MVP. He's done it all. They were winning games with without Durant. That he was winning games without Kyrie and Durant. Right. Mm-hmm. So now that King James is out, I'm worried. And let's see if Durant can uh, carry the team like King James carried the team when he was out. Well, uh, it didn't look like it. In uh, they looked like uh, the Nets now King James big time against the Lakers. Yeah, the fake show, yes. Fake show. Without uh, LaFraud James, he was out. Uh, Anthony Davis was also out. And Kyle Kuzma was out. And it led to a blowout win for the fake show, 126-101. It was just a tough game for the Nets. Uh, It was was close until the ejection of Kyrie Irving and uh, Dennis Schroeder. It was a four-point game, I believe, at the time. And then after that, the Lakers just went on a tear uh, after that. 
in the third quarter, outscoring the, the Nets 31 to 19. Uh, but on the Nets side, KD was the top performer, 22 points, seven rebounds, five assists on eight of 17 shooting. Uh, on the uh, Kyrie also had 18 points. LaMarcus Aldridge had 12 points for the Nets. Ever, ever besides them, no one scored in double digits. Uh, after that, uh, those three players for the Nets. On the other side, it was anything but not scoring double digits for the Lakers. Uh, almost everyone scored in double digits, led by Andre Drummond with 20 points and 11 rebounds for a double. Not unbelievable. Taylor Horton Tucker had 14 points, 11 assists for a double. I never double. even heard of that guy. <laughs> uh, Mark Markeith Morris had 14 points. Uh, Dennis Schroeder had 19. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope had 14. Uh, some random guy of Alfonso McKinney had 10 points as well. Montrezl Harrell had 10 points, and Macklemore had 17 points. Uh, it was just a scoring barrage for the Lakers, and they beat the Nets 126 to 101. Hey, dog, you know, this is what worries me about the Metropolitans. Uh, Kyrie Irving at any time can lose his way. Why, why he got object, uh, ejected from this game, you know, he, he, lose, he has this tendency to lose focus, right? And, you know, he didn't need to get involved with Schroeder in, in this game, right? He could have easily did his talking on the court and just took it to him, right? Because, you know, this is a guy when his head, when he's focused on the game, can drop 35, 40 points on any team. Mm -hmm. That's how good Kyrie Irving could be, but he just can't stay focused. I mean, he's just so distracted by everything, right? And he, whether, you know, he needs spring break, you know, personal time to go on vacation for spring Birthday break, parties. right? Whether he doesn't want to fly out to the West Coast because it's too long of a flight, whether he needs the star treatment, you know, game off every week, you know, whether he's, you know, getting into a Dennis Schroeder. Why are you going to get into that guy? You're so much better than him. What's, what's the deal, yeah. right? But that's the problem for the Nets. The problem for the Nets is, is twofold. One can you trust Kyrie in the playoffs? Is he going to show up every game or he's going to, or is he going to have some personal matter where, you know, he misses three games out of a series, which they can't have. They just can't have it. He's got to be completely focused and committed. The second one is, you know, is Durant going to be able to stay healthy? I mean, that's, that's the other question, right? And is King James going to be healthy? Because I'm telling my belief is that if those three guys are really healthy, and those three guys are really committed to winning. There's nobody going to beat the. There's nobody going to beat the. The Nets. Who's going to yeah. beat the Nets? The the fake show isn't going to beat the Nets. No. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to beat Kyrie, and. King James and Durant and LaMarcus Aldridge and Joe, Joe Harris, by the way, who dropped 20, you know, in his sleep. Right. And then, I mean, that doesn't even, I mean, cause in the playoffs, 
you know, you know, TLC is not playing in the playoffs. Okay, not he's not he's not going to step foot on the court mm-hmm. in the playoffs. You're not going to have these guys that are getting time in the playoffs, right? Yeah. And then you throw in Blake Griffin, you throw in Nick Claxton who'll get time, right? And um, you know, Brown will get time because he deserves it. But you know, they're they're not they're going to go like eight deep on their bench at the most, right? Who's mm-hmm. going to beat them? But the problem is, I'm not sure that Harden's going to be able to play every game and not hard. And I'm Durant and I'm not sure that Kyrie Irving can stay focused. And quite frankly, I, you know, K dog, I mean, it's, it's premature to say this because Durant's only been back two games, but geez, based on what I saw against the Lakers, you know, is Harden better than Durant can Harden carry a team better than Durant can carry a team. Well, after that Lakers game, it, it seems like it, to be honest with you. So we'll see. Yes. Uh, taking a look at the week ahead, the Nets have four games Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. They start out their week at in Minnesota against the Timberwolves. Then Wednesday, they travel to Philly to take on the Sixers. Then on Friday, they go to the Hornets and uh, they play home against the Hornets, I should say. And then Sunday, they go down to South Beach to take on the Heat. So that's an interesting schedule. I think that the Nets will go three and one this week. uh, And their only game that they will lose is, I believe, Sunday against the Heat. I I, I agree with you. They'll go three and one this week. They should take care of business against the Hornets. Um, The Sixers game is very, a very intriguing game, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, you know, hopefully, you know, you have Durant is healthy to play. Hopefully if Kyrie, I don't know how long King James is out for, but uh, I don't expect him to play, you know, and, and that's the game, you know, that's the game that will give me a level of confidence that Durant can carry this team if they beat the Sixers. Right. And, you know, it's really a must win for them. If they want to finish atop the division, they got to beat the Sixers. So, you know, I, I, I'm thinking, K-Dog, I'm thinking they go two and two. I'm thinking they lose to the Sixers. I don't think they're going to beat the Sixers. I just don't think they're going to beat the Sixers. And I agree with you. I think they lose to uh, the Heat as well. You know, the Heat are an up and down team. But I could see, you know, it's a, it's in Miami, right? Yeah. I, I could see them resting both Durant and, uh, and uh, Kyrie and neither of them make the trip. So, uh, I, I, I see them going two and two this week, you know, and, and it really for, for the Nets, it doesn't matter. They're going to finish in the top four. doesn't matter if they come in first, second, third, not really. Yeah. So uh, on to our uh, next team, we will go with the, the Knicks rewind. Uh, and we already talked about the Monday game against the Nets losing 114 to 112, but then we'll move on to, the uh, Wednesday game uh, in the garden against the Celts and the Celtics won 109, um, 101 to 99, a very close game. Want uh, One of these close games that the Knicks once again lose. Um, it seems like a common theme in the past few weeks for them as uh, Julius Randle had 22 points, nine rebounds and six assists on nine of 23 shooting. R.J. Barrett had 29 points, 
five rebounds on 10 of 14 shooting. And uh, D Rose had 11 points for the Knicks on the Celtics side. It was Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with uh, Jalen Brown had 32 points and 10 rebounds. Jason Tatum had 25 points and 10 rebounds, both double doubles. Marcus smart added 17 points uh, for the Celtics. And uh, in a very close matchup, the Knicks lose back-to-back very close games. Yeah, the, the Knickerbockers, th- this was a game I was hoping they were going to win. You know, I'm not a Knicks fan, but I like to see the Knicks do well. They're progressing. I, I really like their young talent. You know, IQ's m- one of my favorite players. I think he's tremendous ball player, that kid. You know, and they got a lot of young talent with RJ as well. And I like Julius Randle as comeback player of the year. And this is, these are games that are key for them to get over the top, right? They're battling with the Celtics for position, playoff position, top four position, you know, and, and it's, it's a big game that they have to win. And again, I think they're not winning these games because they lack experience. You know, the Celtics are a much more experienced team. I think the Knicks or where the Celtics were, you know, two, three years ago when these kids were coming up um, for the Celtics in Brown, right? And um, I think that's where the, the, net, the Knicks are now. And hopefully in a couple of years, they'll have that experience where, you know, they're going to win these games against teams that they might, you know, I think the Knicks are on the same level as the Celtics. It, the Celtics seem to taken a step back. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Brad Stevens this year. You know, if the Celtics don't do well in the playoffs, but you know, the Knicks, this is a team, the Knicks really start need to start beating on a consistent basis. They have the same talent level, in my opinion, they just lack the experience, you know, and I think the Knicks have a better coach. I think Thibodeau is a better coach than Stevens. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little disappointing that they lost this game. Again, they, 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 they lost to a team that's more experienced them, than them. And maybe, maybe they have more skill than them. I'm not really sure that's, that's up for debate. Yes. And then on Friday, the Knicks finally win in a close one, uh, beating the Memphis Grizzlies at home, 133 to 129. Uh, it snapped the Grizzlies four game win streak. Um, and uh, the leading uh, performer for the Knicks, obviously their MVP, Julius Randle with a triple-double, 15 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists on the day. R.J. Barrett added 20 points on an efficient 7 of 13 shooting from the field. Alfred Payton added 12 points as well. Alec Burks added 19 points off the bench. IQ added 20 points off the bench on 7 of 12 shooting. And D. Rose also added 19 points off the bench. Uh, don't forget Obi Toppin, 14 minutes on uh, eight points, an efficient, Obi. an inefficient three of five shooting from the field. Uh, and then on the other side, it was uh, the John Morant show, 26 points, six assists. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas added a double-double, 20 points and 14 rebounds. And Dylan Brooks added 23 points in the starting lineup as well. Uh, but 
the Grizzlies could not catch a break here, and the Knicks finally snapped their losing streak and win in a close one, 133 to 129. You know, this is a big win for the Knicks. Most people may not think so, uh, but the, the Grizzlies, um, you know, are, are kind of in the same boat as the Knicks. Winning, have won four in a row. Valachunas is playing well for them. And, you know, John Morant's an up-and-comer, certainly in the league. And it's a game that they needed to win. It's a game that they, I think they should win. Uh, I, I don't like the Knicks in games like this, where it's 133, 122. You know, the Knicks will lose more games than not when when teams score that many against mm-hmm. them because they're not scoring this many, you know, on most nights. The Knicks are a much better team when they win, you know, 105 to 95, right? When they need to keep their opponent most of the time under 100 uh, for them to be successful. You know, on this night, they're able to get big points. You know, they always get big points from Julius Randle. I mean, this guy, they'd be nowhere without him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he, he definitely is the Knicks MVP. And uh, I think he needs to be the comeback player of the year. If he's not MVP, he might even be MVP of the NBA. Who knows? Probably not. But, you know, there's got to be some consideration for him. And I think that, um, you know, RJ chips in, quick chips in. And, uh, you know, that's the scoring they need. But that's not they're not going to win if they don't play their typical defense and their typical defense, their formula for winning is not is giving up less than 100 points per game you know they score about 105 the other team scores about 95 and you know that's how they're going to win games but it was a big win for them uh, certainly they get off the snide after losing two in a row two tough ones in a row so you know hopefully they can build off of that yes hopefully they can and taking a look at the week ahead for the knicks they have four games this week uh starting out monday at home in the garden against the Lakers, the fake show. Then Wednesday, they start a two-game road road uh, trip uh, in New Orleans on Wednesday against the Pelicans, and then in Dallas on Friday against the Mavs. And then they come home on Sunday to play the Pelicans at home. So in this week, uh, it's going to be tough for the Knicks in this one, I believe. Uh, but I think that they could go two and two this week. Uh, I think they lose against the Lakers. And then I think that they beat the Pelicans in both games and then lose to the Mavericks in Dallas. Hey dog. I, I agree with you. I think they'll sweep the Pels. I, I think the Knicks will beat the fake show. Wow. If, if uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis don't play again, which I don't expect them to play, I think the Knicks will beat the, the fake show. Um, and I think they will go three and one. I agree with you. I think they lose at Dallas. I, um, I, I don't think Dallas will lose at home to the, the Knickerbockers. And, uh, you know, they, they beat, they beat uh, the Knicks recently, so I think mm-hmm. they beat them again. So I think they go three and one. All right. So now that we're done with the NBA, we'll move on to our final topic of the day, which is K Dogs Fantasy Minute. Oh, I love K Dogs Fantasy Minute. I can't wait for this. 
And on uh, the uh, game ends today, but we are in a close matchup, uh, only down five points right now. Very high scoring game, uh, both in the uh, upper 600s in this one. But uh, for my performance of the week, it has to go to the no hitter man himself, Joe Musgrove. Uh 58 points uh, for his no-hitter. He had nine innings pitched, obviously. No hits, 10 strikeouts. And then he gets points for the win and a shutout and a no-hitter. 58 points from Joe Musgrove is the top performer of the week. That's huge. You probably can't get more than 58 points from a pitcher, can you, K-Dog? Probably only for a perfect game, I believe. But, yeah, that's... That's the wow. highest you can go. Wow, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he, he's a good addition to your team. He's certainly a good addition to his real team, right? Yes, very, very good for his real team. And uh, my loser of the week is uh, Oakland A's pitcher Sean Manaya, minus five points on the week. Uh, minus what? He didn't last an inning, K-Dog, or what? Uh, no, his first start, he got <laughs> – his first start, he got shelled uh, with only uh, with five earned runs on four and two innings pitched. Maybe the Mets will trade for him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you win Boston. last week? Did you win last week or is this? This the is last? our first game. This is our oh, first is... game. Oh, okay. Uh, it ends today. Oh, it ends today. Yeah, it goes and, from and Sunday to Sunday. And you're down five points. Yes. But, oh boy. Uh, my surprise of the week has to be. Uh, Red Sox catcher Christian Vasquez. Uh, he had 41 points this week, uh, 13 of 33 uh, uh, hitting wise, two home runs uh, in this in this week. Uh, so he is my surprise of the week. That's a good that's a good pick, Vasquez, yeah. catcher for the Red Sox because you know he he started to come into his own last year, right? And I think you know, in the shortened season, a lot of people didn't realize, you know, that he, he played fair, fairly well for yeah. the, uh, the Red Sox. So I think that's a good pickup. And I think you're going to get a lot of surprises from Vasquez. Yeah. I think he will be one of my uh, steals of the draft. And then uh, disappointment of the week has to be Jeff McNeil. Uh, 8.5 points this week, one of 13 batting, Oh boy! Uh, with only that one home run in the oh boy against the Marlins, so that was my disappointment of the week. Yeah, no, Jeff McNeil, much like the rest of the Mets offense, is off to a a slow start, and uh, you know, hopefully, the flying squirrel can pick it up. But he's he's hitting more like a blind squirrel. Yes, he is. But uh, we'll see what happens in this game and uh, review it next week. But that's it from the seller today, and here's hoping our teams get out of the seller.